listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am uh, happy to be chatting again. That's how I'm doing. Yeah. And you? I'm doing excellent. Thanks. Wonderful nice. to uh, to be back here recording again. Yeah, yeah. Today's show is going to be fun. I mean, um, just... Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like from sometimes marketers, um, uh, you know, well, different organizations have different sales dynamics, and there's different levels of integration between marketing and sales organizations. So sometimes, like the sales methodology, sales process, and whatever can be kind of something that sometimes the marketers can't quite get their hands on. So anytime we have a opportunity to bring a, a guest on the show that comes at things from a bit more of a sales driven background i'm really kind of enthusiastic about it because i think it just helps uh um uh, fill out the perspective if you will absolutely and, and it's not even just a sales driven background it's really building a sales driven culture within yeah. a manufacturer which I, th- I think is is pretty interesting you know it's a fairly new company and they're doing some really really interesting and aggressive things mm. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, we should get into it. So joining us today is John Weiler. John is the SDR manager at Path Robotics. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, John. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Happy to be a part of the uh, the show today. Yeah, well, awesome to have you on. And um, uh, let's start with, uh, tell us who Path Robotics is and uh, what do you all do there? So, so Path Robotics is a venture-based company out of Columbus, Ohio, so the Midwest of the United States, and we are tackling one aspect of the labor shortage. Uh, we're an artificial intelligence company that is in the industrial automation sector today, and the first labor shortage that we're, we're really tackling is the shortage of skilled trade uh, welding in specific. So uh, we are doing welding as a service as a starting point That's via awesome. ai and robotics yes correct yep so we we use a, a variety of off-the-shelf components um, and then combine that with some proprietary technology that path has created and, and is patented uh, and then the software the artificial intelligence that powers all of those uh, components uh, to to use robotics automation and, and ai to accomplish welding as a service that's really cool. Yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating company to be a part of. Um, one of the things that that we talk about is we have one of the most advanced products in the world. So let's carry ourselves as a sales organization as one of the most advanced sales teams in the world. How do you go about doing that? But I mean, before we get into that, <laughs> tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, I mean, let's it, not jump the gun, yeah. but I do want to go back to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so myself, right, I, I started as an entrepreneur um, right out of out of college here, um, you know, studied finance and economics. I really only use it during holidays to argue with family and friends. Um, I, I transitioned right into entrepreneurial endeavors, um, started a web-based company, actually had the experience to go through raising funds myself and working with an, an investor and a board, um, sold that company three and a half years later and got right into product development. Um, and I was the fourth person at that company. We grew it to about 40 people. That was over the course of four years, though. So it kind of gave me a taste into hyperscaling and growth, but not at as an aggressive pace as a VC-backed company. 
uh, we were a debt-free company. So each year we were growing kind of consistent, measurable. It wasn't like, hey, we need you to triple the size of your team overnight. Um, but I had an appetite for that level of growth. So I jumped into the VC world. I was a director of sales um, after leaving that family firm. And that company led me to Path Robotics. So I've always kind of been in that sales uh, sales leadership-based role throughout my professional career. Um, but getting into uh, software as a service, hardware as a service, and artificial intelligence, I, I could kind of see was the future. And I really wanted to break into that space, and Path Robotics offered that opportunity in my backyard. Nice. Um, okay, so like, where to start? There's like <laughs> about 40 off-ramps here. Yeah. But, but look, let's go back to that. <laughs> Let's go back to that comment that you just said around the notion of high, kind of a high tech product uh, requiring a high tech sales force. I mean, fundamentally, I think I, I understand the notion of what you're saying there, and it's the the symmetry sounds great. Uh, I guess um, have you is that a, a kind of a thought process that you employed as you've built out uh, other sales organizations, and have you kind of reaped the benefit of that? or that symmetry or is it uh again I, I don't dispute that it sounds good but i want to know where the rubber meets the road here yeah so uh, having a career in sales you you learn how to make a lot of things sound good right but the execution is is <laughs> the devil's in the details thing right so you you and carmen are going to get along just <laughs> fine yeah i'd say that's that's one of the things where marketing and sales can unite and uh we both make things sound really interesting or fun or good um and when you can deliver value it's all it's all the better so the reason why we say that and one of the things we try and hold ourselves to in that standard is i feel like we owe it to our engineers and the people that are working on the robots and working on the technology themselves that that's the standard that they carry themselves to and we need to hold ourselves to that same standard. What that looks like in daily practice is personalization. Uh, we're we're multi-threading accounts, so we're reaching out to multiple people at an organization strategically. Um, we're we're sending different value proposition and custom messages to each one of those stakeholders because the things that they think about and the things, the problems that they're solving are different. So taking a little bit more time, being a little bit more tactful and strategic in our approach differentiates us from a lot of other sales orgs out there. It's sad to say in many ways, but you know you can't just turn up activities anymore and say, let's email blast a bunch of people and see what sticks. You kind of will drown out in the rest of the noise out there. So when I think of being the most advanced sales team in the world, I think of how can we use the tools the, the resources and the strategic initiatives that we have learned over time or that are available that we can see some of the other orgs doing and learn from them and replicate and, and build upon those. Do you think that the um, your experience in venture-backed organizations and, and kind of seeing a bit of that SaaS world has, has been what's informed your opinion about how to build this team at Path Robotics? So I think two things. I definitely think the venture-backed atmosphere brings a whole new light. So when I, you know, the the product development firm that was a family-run debt-free company from four to 40 people, we were doing things in a very traditional format. Let's go to trade shows. Let's buy lists. Um, you know, let's do ads on Google and let's create some inbound leads for our people and distribute those. And then the VC world, they, they say, like, let's throw gasoline on all of that. We want all of that, and we want to 10 exit. 
and and so you're set you're left there kind of scratching your head um you know the thing that's that's interesting for me and i think one of the things that led me to where i am today is the mentors that i've been able to have access to or be a part of that is a direct uh relationship from the vc companies so with vc companies i noticed they have a tremendous um requirement for really great talent and with that comes really great mentorship and development so i've been lucky to be a part of those organizations um and then also they're they're constantly pushing you so the the rate of growth is it's uh numbing at times in the sense that like we need to grow faster but it also forces you as an individual outside of your comfort zone um and that forces growth so what i mean by that is you know i think of levers for a sales org especially at the top of the funnel for me and and the sdr team is we can set really high volume of meetings or we can set really high quality meetings but a VC will come in and say, I want both. And I want both all the time. And I want you to turn up the dial on both. And <laughs> it's not an acceptable answer to go back and say it's one or the other. Um, so it forces you to continually make strategic decisions. It's, um, I guess, how has that changed your tolerance for, for risk and experimentation? So it's a great question. Uh, the environment at PATH and something that I love about these small to medium-sized startups that are growing from pre-revenue to their first 100 customers uh, is they very much encourage a culture of experimentation. And they're very much willing to say, um, go out there, let's see what works and what doesn't work. And let's if it works, let's document it and scale it. And if it doesn't work, it was an experiment that we went and we all are better now having known the outcome of it. Uh, a real life example of this would be like personalized videos where I can record a prospect's website and say, this stands out to me. They can see my face. They can see what I'm looking at, the research in firsthand, and maybe the video speaks to, directly to them. And I have to get that message out and that call to action in under a minute. Not every organization is going to open up and play a video, but that's an example of an experiment that we encourage here at PATH and we're seeing a little bit of early success with. Um, so that's, that's definitely the culture. I personally tell my, my people on my team, it's better that you, it's better that, you know, my direct report comes to me and says, Hey, there's a little slap on the wrist. Don't do that again. Rather than asking for permission. I don't know if I can say that for every organization, but I'm a big fan of, you know, ask for forgiveness, not permission when it comes to sales strategy. And I just got to think it's a huge difference between a, you know, a debt-free family run organization, uh, scaling from four to 40. It's just a different kind of tolerance for experimentation and yeah. risk there. Yeah. 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 Yep. A very, uh, a very different environment there than a VC backed company. Right. I mean, since I've been at path robotics, we've gone through two rounds of funding. Uh, and I've been here November 17th was my one year anniversary. We were at 52 people as an entire company today. We're at 196 approaching 200. Um, and the difference right within those is in one year, we've tripled, almost quadrupled in size. And it took that same kind of growth over many years at that family run business. And here, you know, we've experimented with all sorts of tools and techniques and very quickly can accelerate if something's working or not there. It took a lot longer to, to experiment as well as, you know, Hey, we're doing this. It's working. You know, we don't need to delve out and expand on our, our strategies type of thing. So it's much different of a culture as well. Yeah, no question. I'm just interested in um, thinking about how that, uh, how people evaluate their strategic options as marketers, and how rarely sometimes, like 
take some how rarely they think of the context that mm. they're operating within. It's easy to get excited about the latest greatest tool and often be inspired by things maybe in the SaaS world or high growth VC world. But if that isn't your reality, it's, yeah, uh, it's going to be difficult well, for you to implement. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. But yeah. uh, nevertheless, I want uh, to kind of yeah. uh, unpack a bit more of your success in prospecting into engineers that are at the, the, the leading edge of this because you're certainly looking to, um, as, as an organization is a very leading edge product, you're looking at leading edge adopters of it. Um, and that can't be a spray and pray approach. I understand that there must be some, uh, like you say, a high degree of personalization and examination of the buying committee and whatnot as you do that. I guess one of the things that you said to me in our lead up to this conversation that um, stuck with me was this notion of earning the right to text. Um, so I, I guess talk to me about prospecting into engineers and earning the right to tax. Yeah, so it, that's a great example of what we have here on, on the sales team here are winning indicators. And these are indicators that of our current customer base, they're commonalities that we see in every deal that has gone from a prospect to a customer. And when we look at those and we identify that list of winning indicators, a text message relationship with a C-suite executive is one of those indicators. If we earn that trust and we gain that permission to have that level of intimacy with someone in a business relationship, there is a higher degree that they could become a customer of Path Robotics. So when we, when we reverse engineer that, we look at looking at velocity as, uh, in the sales cycle and enterprise sales going from 180 plus days down to 110. Uh, it's something where the velocity of sales is something that we look at. And so what we ask our team is how can we build rapport quickly and how can we earn their trust and build credibility to be able to gain permission to that next level of intimacy? That's the way that we view a text message. Um, if, if I send you an email, that might get a reaction. If I pick up the phone and call you, that might start a conversation. You text with family and friends. Um, so, and there's definitely a line here to be drawn. I saw on LinkedIn, cold FaceTiming. We're not exploring that. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, 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 you know, that's, there's, we still have to draw some lines and we could dig into that too. But, you know, with the texting, it's not a cold text. And there, I think there's even legal things around this with mass texting or texting lists or, you know, any kind of uh, marketing-based soliciting text that that's not something that was uh, given permission to. So if we dig into that, we send someone an email, we pick up the phone, we're now building a relationship. If it, the message from the beginning resonates with them because it's personalized, because we did our research before we went into that conversation, um, we can start to build, build some instant trust and credibility from the start. We can set up a conversation with them in Path Robotics and maybe an example of a very preliminary, the earliest type of text message that we're going to send is if they provide us with their mobile cell phone number during that phone conversation and we say, hey, uh, we might reach out to you just to confirm the time of the meeting. So, and, and at the beginning, it's a simple text that just says, hey, uh, the account executive here is excited to connect with you and your manufacturing engineers. Uh, over Zoom, make, just wanted to make sure date and time's tomorrow. They send a text back to us. Now we have bridged that gap on texting. Uh, and it's to say that we can go back to our team internally and say, hey, uh, we texted this person. They, they texted us back. 
not saying that we're going to start texting them by the only means, but maybe we pass that level of intimacy off to the account executive and they build upon it. If they see that it could be uh, a way to build further rapport within that relationship. So that's the way that we look at texting. That's really interesting. It kind of reminds me of a, an old friend of mine that uh, his approach to sales is the minute he could get into a bit of an email exchange or text exchange. I mean, you were going to get 40 messages, stream of conscious thoughts about that things that could help your business. You're going to, you were going to get that within the next 24 hours and they were going to come at the most randomness of times, but it's like all with very good intention. And it's like, you just almost overwhelmed them with, what about this or what about that? But I was just thinking about things. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, but in a very personal way. Yeah. And it, as much as that would have probably seemed really annoying to me, it would be hard for me to argue with his success. I understand well, you're not taking that approach, but that notion yeah. of it as being an indicator of intimacy, I think that that's a notion of something that people could um, extend. I mean, what else uh, kind of fits into that definition um, beyond text messaging that yeah. shows that you're drawing closer uh, to the customer. And, uh, and that's really interesting, the notion. I think, uh, yeah, and I think you have to be able to read the room is something we talk about very often as a soft skill at the top of the funnel here because we're, and all I mean by that is like, you know, if you're, if you're if you're reaching out to my dad as an example who is a civil engineer and you send that man a text you might get your phone number blocked you know there's just you have to be able to try and and decipher through and read through the the reading of the room as what are all of the soft skills telling you what what is the communication up until that point telling you have you and that's what we mean by earning that permission to do that do you feel like you have a really good chance of that person texting you back being okay with that and are you delivering value in almost every communication that you're having? Does it, is it advantageous to that person to send a text? I mean, there's been examples here where we've worked with people for six, eight months in the sales process and we're still emailing them. And on one of the calls, that director of automation might say, Hey, shoot me a text. Um, and it might just be because we're mentioning a, a journal or article in the wall street journal that's relevant to him and his industry. And he might want to share that with his colleagues. We weren't asking for a next step in the process. We were just saying, Hey, this piece of content might be relevant to you. It was relevant to us. And you know, in our conversations, you brought this up. Uh, and, and that's how I gained text messaging with a director of automation. And this was a recent example because he said, Hey, text me that I want to share that with my colleagues. And that's the way that he communicates with his colleagues. Um, you asked about another example for intimacy. I think videos is uh, an evolution of the sales process given the, the global pandemic. I mean, we don't do as many plant visits. When I joined here, we, we became partners with someone in 88 days. They signed up for a 12-month commitment to become a partner with PATH. And, you know, our average contract value there is hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so this is not, this is an enterprise partnership. Um, they never visited our plant. We never went to their plant. The reason why I bring this example up is because we had built such a strong relationship through video. They pretty much gave us a virtual tour and we did a virtual demo. And, you know, there was people here that were like, we, th that's an edge case. That won't happen again. Well, our fastest deal to close now is 16 days. You can't even hire someone that fast. It, it's just a different world. I feel like in today's digital age where you can build relationships 
over video, over camera, you know, having conversations like this over the web, and they can become very intimate very quickly. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. And I'd be curious, have you seen that ex extend to a video outreach as well uh, versus just video calls or video sales, sales calls? So video outreach is... Um, we're in we're manufacturing right so i mean this these are people it, it's interesting that the way that we look at it when we when i referenced multi-threading in an enterprise earlier what i was meaning by that is c-suite directors vps and then you will have people at the plant level maybe plant managers manufacturing engineers um the way that they communicate and the mediums that they use could be significantly different and so figuring out which method of communication is going to work well for them uh, is is how we look at that. Some people do really well with video. Some people never want to open a video from an email. The thing that's nice about video within an email and video outreach is it shows the person on the other end of the email, this is not a mass communication. This is something where whoever that is at PATH took some time, maybe it's five to 10 minutes, but they got on our website, they read our story, they looked at our product line, they looked at the job openings. They looked at a variety of different indicators. And in a minute, they're going to tell us why they think we should continue or even start a conversation. So I like video outreach because you can say, hey, I saw that part of your story here is that you guys have state-of-the-art equipment for your customers. Well, we have some of the most advanced technology. Uh, and I also noticed that these product lines are similar to some of our other customers. We've been able to be transformative for them. And you guys are hiring human welders. So is welding a bottleneck? I mean, is it worth us having a conversation? All of our outreach, especially very early on, is all focused around starting a conversation. We are never sending some, someone something that says, schedule a meeting with me and sending them a Calendly link. At least no one on our team is doing that. I know it happens from time to time, but we talk about very soft call to actions early on is it worth a conversation? Are you interested in learning more? Those are the types of questions we're asking when we're prospecting. And I have to think too, I mean, in order to get to this place where you can confidently have those kinds of conversations and, you know, early emails and things like that with people at the plant management level and the C-suite and, and the others that you're talking to, is that you really need to understand who you're going to be talking to. T tell us a bit about your process for identifying those, those ideal target accounts. Yeah, really, really, really great, great question there. And so over time, we've developed a list of ideal customer personas, um, not something new, something that I think a lot of companies do, but we've continued to tweak and add in things there. And we really look at, um, are these decision makers or are these people that are receiving uh, strategic initiatives from people above them within the organization? And then we break those down into what problems are they trying to solve? 
what what are the KPIs that they're measured on so we can you know speak to situations or scenarios that might be relatable to them or they might be able to say oh yeah that you know I experienced that if we talk to someone like a VP of manufacturing for example they're thinking about throughput they're thinking about how do I increase capacity um, but if you talk to a plant manager and you mention automation or robotics, they might actually be a little bit intimidated. Well, are we coming after a job here? Um, you know, and so the messaging for those two different ICPs is going to be significantly different. The way that we research into an organization is we're looking at a variety of tools. So we're looking at their website. We're looking at LinkedIn. Um, we're looking at different databases, trade associations. We're looking for second, third degree relationships, whether that be from our current customer base or did we attend a trade show that they attended. Um, and we're trying to learn how does, that how does that organization make decisions and who do we need? Uh, another thing that we've noticed as a winning indicator is in every one of our customers, we have an internal champion. That internal champion is someone who is advocating on Path Robotics' behalf internally to their to their decision makers. So early on in the sales process, we might engage with someone, whether they be a manufacturing engineer or a director of operations or a VP of manufacturing. Based on that initial conversation, we're trying to learn very quickly, what does decision-making process look like to you and your organization? And that will incite the rest of the team here at Path how do we want to communicate and who do we want to communicate with? Who do we need to get into a room? A lot of these enterprise deals, you're, you've got six to 11 different stakeholders. And that's with, you know, small to medium-sized enterprises. If you're working multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies, they could have 50 divisions. And it's, uh, it, you know, it starts to become a matrix of decision-making and a lot more complicated. It it's a really interesting challenge because when I look at Path Robotics, I mean, it's an incredibly focused uh, organization. You're applying, this is to, to, for, for welding. I mean, it's very, very specific in many cases. Um, a lot more specific, I would suggest, than many B2B manufacturers out there. Um, uh, and yet, it sounds as though, uh, not to put two words in your mouth too much, but that the the types of buying committees that you encounter differ greatly the your way in seems to differ greatly from the uh, plant manager to uh, the operations manager or various others um i guess it's it's interesting to consider this challenge when you think about six to eleven stakeholders in a committee so six to eleven different numbers different types of makeups of those committees, mm. different titles in those uh, committees. There's a real challenge for people who are trying to simplify the buying process through buyer personas and trying to say, this is who we speak to. Yeah. Guess, your internal champion could be any one of those people. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm kind of wondering, how do you deal with that? Yeah. And so, well, first, I mean, one of the, one of the biggest things is the CRM, is a gold mine and, and if used properly and data is captured and updated on a reoccurring and regular basis and you're, you're working with a you know content management system and you've got technology that you can leverage here internally and software that provides some data driven uh, insights and we have a business intelligence unit here at PATH so when I t tell you guys things like we have winning indicators that was born out of an entire business intelligence unit that we spun up in the last 12 months that continues to interface with our CRM, 
and then uses software like Tableau to visually show us data sets that we can take action on. Um, and so we're, we, we continually become smarter here at PATH about what's working and what's not working. And that's why I think the experimentation is a big thing because we still are working through our first 100 customers. I think it's safe to say, and, and leadership all agrees, we've got a lot more experiments to go through to figure out how do we want to scale and what do we want to scale with. We have some ideas around what best practices are, but we continue to learn and get better. Um, now, with managing those different relationships, when I say 6 to 11, I'm, re I'm referring to at the finish line. And, and so the quicker that we can figure out who are those, for example, say six, one of them might be uh, uh, their legal team. One of them might be a CFO to sign off on the actual um, financials and the ROI side of things. We don't necessarily need to do a lot of heavy duty communication with that CFO early on, but we need to know what's important to them. And if we're in a, you know, here's a benefit of a Zoom conversations that's recorded. We can have an account executive say during a demonstration, so, so who else is involved in decision-making? Once they know that, we can then ask the question of, so what's most important to them? When you go in and you bring a, a new partnership to them, what's the things that they look for? And we can call that stuff out during a recorded conversation, and then we can send them an email with that recording and say, if you fast forward to this for the CFO, I think they'll find this really insightful. And you're covering some of these bases, but the best way to do it is to get into a live conversation. And so, you know, it's kind of old school in some ways in the sense that when you say, how do we manage it? The closer we get to the finish line, um, if we're able to text with that internal champion, I know a lot of our account executive here that can say, hey, uh, we need to figure this out here at the finish line. Can we hop on a call this afternoon? They might be sending that via text because they, they've built that relationship with that internal influencer. And that internal influencer we're relying on to round up some of the troops internally, put them into a room, and let's work through some of these last-minute revisions before we sign off on things. I think that's really instructive to the marketers because, um, you know, that notion of, look, there, yes, there are a lot of people on this committee, but I don't necessarily... But not all of them are as important Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily need to communicate to all of them either. Yeah. Yes, I'm going to have to be mindful as I have conversations with them, but I may not need a ton of marketing-level support, i.e., we may not need the persona done up for the lawyer that's on the buying committee. We may... It's more about the lead economic buyer, who's really driving the decision, and, and often people say well that's who has the pen at the end of the day who signs but it's not always like some sometimes the person that's making the recommendation that's really who you're after and um, um so it's, i think that's important to be mindful of that it's a great it's a great call out it's a great call out I, the one thing that i would add there is like with so the the deal velocity can be the timeline to close can be greatly impacted by who we get in that first meeting. And we've realized that over time as a top of funnel sales organization that's doing outbound prospecting, not every president or C-suite is going to want to get into a discovery call. But we know on our side that if we can get them bought into the process early on, the technology and, and the potential for an ROI, then they can drive that to a finish line a lot quicker than if we're working our way up. Say we get a plant manager and they have to then sell that business case to their director. The director has to go up to the VP, the VP to the president. If we can go from the president down, the president typically can send out an email, you know, just like if my boss sends me an email and says, hop into this meeting, I'm typically going. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we can find that out. But that's why I think we have, we really focus on 
three to five ICPs at the very top. And then, like I was explaining to you earlier, we have some that are, we refer to them as above the line and below the line, just strategic decision makers looking at the outcome of the business versus people that are receiving their priorities from somewhere in leadership. And we, we custom the messaging based on them. If we get a meeting with someone at the organization, we still want to have that conversation because they could turn into an internal champion. But the timeline to close and then becoming a partner at PATH might be different based on who we have that first meeting with. This incredible understanding of, of your sales process, especially given, you know, you haven't been um, at it that tremendously yeah, long exactly and, and it's right. very well refined and, and you clearly have a good understanding and know that you still have more to learn. Yeah. 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 It's a, I, wanna, I, I mean, I know we're drawing to a close here, but I think there's just a, there was a lesson back there that I just want to emphasize around the recording of video. <laughs> um, the recording of sales conversations that are conducted by a video being able to refer back to those, being able to use those in the sales process, I can tell everyone listening to this, it is incredibly invaluable. Um, and, and, and it's amazing to consider what you, the, the information that marketing can glean from uh, reviewing those conversations and, and the level of understanding that they can get to uh, by having that as a resource that you just can't get to otherwise. I mean, sure, you could do it on ride-alongs or what have you, but just that doesn't scale in the way that this does. Um, so I, I just think it's a really important tip that you gave us there. Yeah, it's been really effective for us, and I'll, I'll share one other thing that's with marketing and sales, since you know, I know you guys are doing marketing, uh, we have a newly, we have a marketing department that we're building out here in alignment with the sales org, and we work hand in hand. And a great example of that most recent, uh, we, jo we joined a trade association in a vertical where we've had some success, but not a tremendous amount of success. So we joined this trade association, and the marketing team is sending out to specific people on that trade association, they're sending out custom emails saying, hey, Path Robotics is a part of this, and here's why. And they're just really warming up people that we haven't had engagement with yet. And then the SDR team here at Path, so they, they send out an email one last week. They send out an email two this week. We're tracking open rates. We're tracking people that are responding to Path. And this has already spun up some conversations before anyone from sales has even reached out. And, and then next week, the SDRs now are going to start going after the list of people based on engagement. Um, but that's one example of how our marketing department helps supports the efforts of the sales team here. And we all work on copy and messaging and the list building together. And I think that really creates a lot of alignment between the two organizations because we all have the same goals, um, but we have different ways of, of achieving those goals. So I wanted to share that because I thought it was, it was really cool uh, and we're seeing a lot of success with it. I think that's really instructive. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know? What a great way to leave it. Uh, John, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. It's been fascinating to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you guys both for having me. I, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Wonderful, and best of luck in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.